Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Church. Good morning, Sozo. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. My name is Mark. My wife and I serve as the lead pastors here. Thanks for coming and hanging out with us. Pray you're doing well. Uh, it is exciting to be together this morning. Amen. Amen. Thanks for uh, thanks for dealing with the stupidity of snow. Who voted for that? Um, that's ridiculous. You. Whoever's praying for snow can stop. Just stop it. We got it. It's done. It's not Christmas yet. It can, it can snow on Christmas Eve, and then it can be done. Um, I was not expecting that when I got up this morning. Um, but so it is. But we know that eventually, come on, winter will end, and Aslan will arrive, and we'll all be better off. Um, uh, anyways, uh, this morning we are, we're back in our series through the Gospel of John. Um, we are making our way quickly through the end of this gospel um, and I'm excited about what the Lord is showing us and teaching us. We've got a lot to cover and a lot to do this morning. So um, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to John chapter 18, verse 10. We're going to be not reading all of these verses. We're going to kind of weave through them a little bit. Uh, let's go ahead and stand to our feet for the reading of God's Word. This morning, uh, we're going to be looking specifically, kind of focusing the lens on, uh, on, on Peter and his sort of journey through this last evening um, that Jesus has with his disciples and his trial. Uh, going to be looking at this. A bunch of you have been asking us to get to. I've got a bunch of bunch of emails from dudes going like, I want you to talk about when Peter pulls the sword and chops the dude's ear off. And um, so we're, we're, we're getting to that part. Amen? Praise God. We're getting to that part. <laughs> Um, this is, uh, let's actually go, awesome, I'm, I'm glad I, we did this. Let's go up to, to verse 8. I said verse 10, but let's back up and go verse 8. Um, who, who likes it when you get a little extra when you go to a restaurant, right? Yeah. You get a little extra, that's, that's always a good thing, so I told you 10, but we're going to go to 8. That's just a little bit extra. All right, let's go verse 8. It says, Jesus answered, this is, the, 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 these, these uh, soldiers have come to, to arrest him. And we pick up the story, verse 8, Jesus answers and says, Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you have given me, I have lost not one. But Simon Peter, everybody say, but Simon Peter. It's, that's, it's, that's just the way Simon Peter is. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. I love that. He very specific instructions. Not just put it away, put it back in the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me. Jump down now, if you would, with me to verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known by the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl 
at the door said to Peter, you are also not one of his disciples, are you? And he said, I, I, I am not. Now the servant of the officers had made a, a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Now let's go ahead and jump down again. We're just following Peter's journey here, so let's jump down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, <laughs> asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Will you pray with me this morning? Holy Spirit, we thank you. Come on, church. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures, God. God, we thank you for the Holy Scriptures that, that, that train our ears to hear your voice. We receive the Scripture as your word to us today, God. We rejoice in it. We celebrate it. God, we ask that you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. God, that you give us ears, the, the supernatural capacity to hear your whisper in the midst of your word. God, we did not come here this morning just to accomplish a religious task. We came here to encounter the living God. And so we ask that you give us that capacity, supernaturally give us the capacity to encounter you today in the midst of what it is you're speaking to us. As we encounter you, as we hear what you, it is that you would have to say, God, we ask that that, that word, that, that word like seed would find good soil in our hearts, that it would go deep down within us, that it would do its work of transformation so completely, so fully, so, so radically, God, that we would literally leave this place walking, talking, behaving, thinking, and being different than when we came in. By your grace and for your glory and the good of your creation, we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Come on, everybody said? Amen. All right, go ahead and greet somebody around you real fast before you grab a seat. Amen, amen. I uh, want to make just a, a, do a quick review here real fast, but if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, I um, want to talk to you this morning under the title, under the heading, under the understanding of prophecy fulfilled, uh, discovering the depths <clears throat> of our depravity. I um, want to do a quick review and just remind us kind of where we've been. I don't have time this morning to, uh, to, to do a complete recap of everything. I know we took sort of two weeks off. I want to encourage you um, to, uh, to, to, to reacquaint yourself if you need to with those uh, previous weeks, uh, but we're just going to jump right in and, and kind of do a, a super quick review here. Again, we need to remember that Jesus is on a mission to deliver humanity from darkness. We saw this in, first, in John 1, 1 through 4, where it speaks of Jesus being the light that shines in darkness. So we've said that Jesus delivers us by being, come on, and bringing the light of God into our darkness. Amen? It's not enough for him to just be the light. If, if, he, if he is the light, but he stays away, we're still in darkness. If he shows up, but he's not the light, we're still in darkness. But Jesus delivers us by simultaneously being the light and coming, and coming to us as the light, thus bringing light to us. 
And he delivers us from our darkness. You say, what is darkness? We define darkness simply as this. Deception that produces delusion. That delusion produces depravity. That depravity produces death. Again, we've, we, we, our first parents are an illustration for us of what we've all done. We've believed lies. We've, we've been deceived. And, and the great theologians have said the problem with deception is just how deceiving it is. Right? We don't know that we're deceived when we're deceived because that's what it means to be deceived. We think, come on, we think we know the truth. We think we have all the answers. We think we've figured it out. And yet the scriptures make it clear that we do not. We are, we, we, we believe these lies. Primarily these lies are, f- are grounded about on, on lies that we believe about him and lies that we believe about ourselves. We, we, we diminish who he is, come on, and we puff up who we are. We believe that he's not good. We believe that he's capable of withholding good from us. We believe that he only claims to love us, but he doesn't actually love us. All of this is downright and absolute falsehood. Amen? God is good. He does love us. He withholds nothing good from us. We believe that we somehow are able to change and control and manipulate God. That is absolutely not true. So this deception produces a delusion. This delusion produces a depravity. And uh, the last time we were together in John, we started really focusing in on this depravity. And what we need to see this week is that depravity is a far bigger issue than maybe some of us are willing to admit. But what's more important to me than understanding the problem is understanding the, the, the mechanism by which the solution is coming. Jesus, in this portion of the Gospel of John, at this moment in his life, is inching, come on, closer and closer to the center of our darkness. He's not, he's not okay with just dealing with some of the surface level stuff and moving on. Come on, is, did anybody remember when your parents would ask you to clean your room and so you would just shove everything under the bed? Come on, you're, 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 come on, husbands, your wife says, can you make sure the house is clean before I get home? And you just kind of make sure there's not a lot of dust everywhere. You just sort of throw all the dishes in the dishwasher and just sort of slam it shut. You know you're going to run it. You know nothing's going to get clean in there because you've just piled everything on top of itself. Right? That, that's not what Jesus is interested in here. He's not interested in just sort of dealing on the surface. He's not interested in just, just, just kind of uh, addressing some of the symptoms. He wants to, he's, he's, he's committed to getting to the very core of our prison, the very center of our bondage, and from there, come on, blowing it up from the inside out. And so he's making his way slowly through this. And he's allowing us, and I love this about, I love this about the heart of God. He's allowing us, catch this please, to carry him there. We think we're hiding from God there, and yet Jesus has tricked us to carrying him all the way to the center of our dungeon. As Jesus is doing this, we, we come to this por- portion of the story. Again, we, we skipped over it. We were focusing on, on Peter. Again, John does this masterful job. I would encourage you to read this chapter on your own this week. He does this masterful job, almost like a, like a great movie maker, of, of flipping the camera back and forth between this sham trial that Jesus is going through and Peter's response. We dealt with the trial before, but now we're dealing with Peter. Just to remind us, I call it a sham trial because chapters earlier... Caiaphas, who would, who would preside as the high priest and the judge over this trial, has already pronounced the death sentence upon Jesus, not just before he was arrested, but listen to me, before he was even tried. Before the trial had begun, Caiaphas has already signed the death warrant for Jesus. 
So this is not really a trial. This is not really them interested in discovering who Jesus is. They're just kind of going through the motions so they can, so they can execute him. Little do they know, Jesus is actually using them to accomplish and fulfill his mission and his purpose in setting us free. Last time we looked at this passage, we saw what happens, come on, when religion attempts to arrest Jesus. They show up to arrest him, and by one word of his mouth, they literally fall over. He's proving to them who's really in control. They think they're, to, they're there to arrest him. He's really there to go on a walk with them. Not only do they fall over, but they are unmasked. They are exposed. We saw this, again, quickly reviewing here. Religion is humanity's attempt to negotiate with our darkness. We want, listen, can I put it to you this way? We want to we wanna, we wanna make a deal with our darkness. We don't actually want to deal with our darkness. We want to make a deal. We, 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 want, to, we want to manage it. We want to negotiate with it. We want to, kind of, we want to, we want to somehow figure out a way to deal, with the, to deal with the ramifications of our problem without actually ever dealing with our problem. We just, we, just, we just want a pill, come on, to deal with the symptom. We don't actually want to have to have surgery to deal with the problem. And so all religion, all religion is just an attempt to manage this. What I'm saying is, is even more than that, all human efforts to deal with darkness are religion by their nature. All of them, all of them, all of them. So, so you, might, you might stand here and say stuff like this to me. Well, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual which just means you stink like patchouli, right? I mean, um, it just means you, you are really into your essential oils, right? We might claim spirituality, but listen, if, 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 if your self-effort is the thing driving the bus for your transformation, you are in religion. Here's one, since, since you all laughed at the last one, uh, here's one to make sure that I offend you as well. Oh, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. I'm not religious. I'm just in a relationship with Jesus. My relational standing fully depends on my obedience, and so it's all on me, but it's a relationship. That's still religion. See, all, all human-based effort, if, if the drive comes from you, if the, if the necessary investment comes from you, that's religion. Amen. And the, the, the problem is this, that, that religion usually just focuses on dealing with the deception and delusion part of our problem. Because it knows it's ultimately powerless to deal with the depravity and death part of our problem. So what this leads to, see if this tracks with your experience, because all it can deal with is the deception and the delusion, it focuses very heavily on you learning to regurgitate the right answers. It just becomes about information exchange. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you the right, and here's the problem, here's the problem, church. Sometimes they, that some religions, some of them, right? Christianity being one of them, gets the answers to the questions right, but it's asking the wrong questions. Because all it can deal with is the deception and the delusion part. All it can do is maybe fix a little bit our, our view of who God is or our view of who we are. And sometimes those answers are right. But listen, if the depravity and the death are not dealt with, we're still left with death. 
And so humanity doesn't have any problem interfacing with religion, either by our own making or by somebody else's making. Either we make up the rules or we, we find somebody else who's made up the rules. But ultimately, as long as we're allowed to control where the bus goes, we're good with it. Because again, I'm going to say it again. We, we, we want to make a deal with our... We don't want to actually deal with our darkness. And all of our attempts to do this, all, all of this, the, the, the problem is long as... The, the reason why us being in charge is a problem is because us trying to be in charge is the problem. Ultimately, what the account in Genesis of, of the fall of humanity is all about is us saying, you know what, I kind of like the idea of me being able to decide, to decide what is right and what is wrong. See, the tree wasn't the knowledge of evil. The tree was the knowledge of good and evil. It was us saying, you know, God, gave, God made it so ridiculously simple. Here were the rules in the beginning. Just don't eat fruit from that tree. And we're like, that's really hard to not do. You can, listen, listen, you're both naked, chase each other around the garden, you can eat anything you want, have fun. Just don't eat that tree. So, so this, what, what, what am I trying to say? The problem is not that the rules are too complicated for us. The problem is we want to make up our own rules. Well, this doesn't bother me. It doesn't seem wrong to me. This seems right to me. This seems good to me. So as long as that's the engine that's driving everything, all you're doing is digging the hole deeper. So Jesus comes along to deal with the deception and the delusion, yes, but also, come on, to deal with the depravity. And what I want us to see is this. We, we saw how the, the religious system, th this shouldn't be surprising, so just track with me. I just have to say it to make sure we're on the same page, right? The religious system, of course, is in bondage to religion. That, that sort of seems obvious. But what may not be quite so obvious to us is the, that Peter, as our representative of the disciples, again, we, 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 we kind of pick on Peter a lot, don't we? Because Peter's always either putting his foot in his mouth or, you know, chopping somebody's ear off. But the truth is this. I think Peter was just faster than the other disciples. I think Peter... <laughs> I, I identify with Peter. I'm just being honest with you because Peter and I have a similar problem. My filter does not kick in fast enough. <laughs> See, I think the other disciples were just a little bit more housebroken than Peter. Peter spent too much time naked on a fishing boat. He, he just wasn't, he wasn't quite kind of civilized enough yet. So when Jesus asked a question, everybody else knew enough to like, this is the part where we shut up. Peter's like, no, I got this. <laughs> Peter was, uh, I'm just saying, Peter was like the original hold my beer guy. <laughs> right? Jesus is like, this is going to happen. He's like, you want to bet? Hold on. So Peter is just showing us where the rest of the disciples would be if Peter wasn't the one doing it first. Are you tracking with me? So when we talk about Peter, don't think that the rest of the disciples are all just like, you know, awesome. No, Peter's the representative for the rest of them. Ultimately, what we see is that, yes, the religious system has, has, has bondage based upon depravity. We see that. But what we also need to see is the disciples, listen, 
though they may or may not have been to one degree or another, and I would make the argument that they were very advanced in their deliverance from deception and delusion, they still were just as in bondage to depravity. Which means you can get the answers right, but if the core issues aren't dealt with, come on church, there's still a necessary transformation that needs to take place. Jesus was not done delivering his disciples. Don't think that like the, the, the work was done on the disciples and now Jesus is like, okay, I did this for you guys and now I need to go accomplish something for the rest of the people. No, the disciples needed the work done as well, which ought to be good news to some of us who, 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 who bump into things in our life, come on somebody, where we go, man, this still needs to get addressed. Now again, I want to be super clear theologically. I want to make sure that we get this right. The cross happened 2,000 years ago. The resurrection happened 2,000 years ago. The work is finished. Amen? Amen? This isn't about you becoming something you're not. This is about us learning to walk into everything that we already are. So for us, the work has been done. We've got to talk about it in the story. Come on, because we're tracking with the story. It wasn't done for them, right? Right, 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 right? It has been done for us. But many of us are still on the journey of discovering, come on, all that has been accomplished for us. And so as we look and we go, man, I still see this need, what we get the advantage of is going, oh no, he already provided for it. The bill's already been paid. When Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished, he really meant it. I know, I'm getting ahead of the story. Spoiler alert. That's what, one of the things he says. Okay, so here's, here's, here's the reality. The disciples were just as bound as the religious leaders, and so Jesus' work is for them as well. You see, despite Peter's relationship with Jesus, despite his revelation of Jesus' identity, right? he's the one that, that was able to point out, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. I want to point out just because I have to, that was a received revelation, not an achieved revelation, right? Jesus says, my father is the one who showed you this. Despite having that, and despite his great zeal to follow Jesus, Peter is still imprisoned by his depravity. Peter is still bound up by this. While his, while his depravity manifests differently than those in the religious world, he is still just as bound by his darkness as those people within the religious system. You see, what, what I need us to get is this. We, 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 we laid this out. Let me see if I can get back to here. We laid this out in this way, right? We laid this out in showing that deception produced delusion, delusion produced depravity, depravity produces death. But don't, don't misunderstand. Once deception and delusion have given birth to depravity, you can get rid of the deception and the delusion, but if you never deal with the depravity, it has a life of its own. And my, my, my worry for us as a church, again, I, I'm, I, I'm not called to preach everywhere, I'm called to preach here. So I'm, I'm called to pastor you. My worry for us is this, that some of us think that just because the Lord is doing a work in dealing with the way we see him and the way we see ourselves, and we're getting that corrected, which we are, which we are, that's being redone. That, that's, that, that piece of, of, the, of, the, of the darkness is getting illuminated by his light. If we fail to recognize that he's still at work to deal with the depravity part, then we'll wonder why we're still in bondage. And here's my concern, is that we'll go, see, I knew this didn't work. 
What I need us to understand is there is more of him to see than we have seen thus far. Okay, so Peter's, Peter's got a lot of good stuff going for him, amen? But he still has an issue, and this issue is about to manifest here. Where does it come from? Here's what I'm, I'm going to say. Peter's problems come from this, that Peter was under the misguided notion that deliverance would require his, act, his active involvement. This shouldn't surprise us. Again, let's go in the way, way back machine and let's learn, let's learn, let's remember what we learned. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be a disciple meant to, 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 to be with your rabbi so you could be like your rabbi. And so Peter must be thinking, okay, well, if, if this is where Jesus is going, I, I have to follow him. I have to do this. And hear me, religion has been repeating that message for 2,000 years. And we're going to deal with some of this this week. Do we see how religion grows in the soil of depravity? Well, I have to be involved in this. I have to do this. Peter fails to see the divine plan that is literally rolling out right before his eyes. Let's, let's see this. Peter believed some, some misguided things. Peter believed that he should save Jesus. Can you just stop and think, just, just let that soak in for a second. Jesus is there, and Peter decides that it should be his job to save Jesus. As if Jesus was not the one in control. He'd already defeated this army with a word from his mouth, but Peter's like, no, I think I, I, think I should throw down too. I wanted us to read those first few verses of the story because I wanted us to see this. Jesus had already surrendered to these men. And I don't know what was going on in Peter's mind. Jesus is like, okay, listen, if you want me, I'm going to go with you. Just leave all of them alone. And Peter, listen, when, when all we can do is see, but we can't hear, it's impossible, it's impossible for us to live by faith. Because faith comes by. So Peter's obviously not listening to what Jesus is talking about. All he's doing is seeing the army in front of him. How many of us have thought it was on us to fix the problem? Oh, come on. When all we do is look and we don't listen. All we do is look at the problem. We don't listen to what he is saying. And then we wonder why we don't have faith to deal with the problem because we refuse to listen to him for the solution. When you, when you, we need to learn how to close our eyes and open our ears. Peter was soon to find out that Jesus was the one who was going to do the saving. Amen? So he, he believes some erroneous things. He believes he should be the one to save Jesus. He also believed that he, that his work would produce kingdom purpose. He thought that, let me, let me put it this way. This is what we think. We think that the works of the flesh can produce the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to say it again. 
We think that the works of the flesh, our own human effort, our own self-drive, self-work, self-effort, self-doing can produce somehow the fruit of the Spirit in our life. It can produce kingdom results in our life. And, and we, 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 we shake our heads no at this, but all the time we, what we do is we focus all of our attention on behavior modification. Well, if I can just stop doing this, then I would be a better Christian. No, you might be a better human being. You might be nicer to be around. You might smell better. But that doesn't actually make you any more his son. See, I'm, I'm just going to level with you. I'm not interested in filling a church with good Christians. I want to fill the earth with the sons of God. You see, we think that, that we can produce kingdom purposes, that, that our work, that our labor, that our efforts can somehow produce kingdom purposes. I, again, I just I want us to like put ourselves where Peter was. He's, he's standing there, and I don't know. In other gospels, he gets reprimanded for falling asleep while Jesus is in the garden trying to pray. So I don't know if he found like a Red Bull somewhere, and he was just like jacked up on caffeine, and so he's just oblivious of what's going on. But Jesus like surrenders. He's like, all right, listen, listen, just let them go, and I'll go with you, and this will all be cool. And Peter's response to that is, ah, right? Like, he just like pulls his sword out and goes to work. Which, by the way, um, this is probably not where we should spend our mental energy, but go on an ADHD journey with me. How bad is Peter at using a sword? How do you even cut a dude's ear off? Like, what was he aiming at? Like, was the guy, like, I don't really, like, how... That's the only injury that's listed. I did read one commentary, because I'm, I'm being honest with you, I genuinely was like, how, how, how? I get an arm or a hand or a leg or part of his head, but not just the ear. That's just a weird thing to me. And I know there's probably symbolism there, and I get it. But I was just, this is where my brain goes. The most logical explanation that I was able to find in commentaries was, if you look at some of the examples of the armor of the day, for whatever reason, the ears were exposed. Bad design. <laughs> and so the possibility, that the, the, the explanation I was given there was that, that Peter probably swung at his head, glanced off of the side of the helmet and chops his ear off because he would have had armor on it would have hit his shoulder not hurt him and so all that ends up happening is he loses his ear all that ends up happening is he loses his ear really the truth is how it happened is not important but i think the fact that it was the ear was very important i said earlier i don't think peter was listening i think peter was looking and what we need to understand is that we produ re reproduce after what we are not after what we want to be Peter can't listen, so now this guy can't listen. How many times have we allowed, come on, the, the restlessness within us to get on those around us and then complained at the restless environment that we're in? It, 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 it's, it's just a natural byproduct of this. But I also think there's another thing at play here, and this is, this is, I think, even more at the foundation of what's going on that we need to understand. God does not need you to defend him. I'm going to say it again. God does not need you to defend him. Let me put it more bluntly. Humanity is not in need of your cleverly crafted speeches. They need to hear his whisper in your words. 
So when this fails, when, when, when Peter's attempt to, to stop this from happening fails, the pendulum kind of swings the other way. And now he believes that he would be required to die alongside Jesus. When he saw he couldn't stop it, he feared that he would now be required to die as well. Peter misses a giant point, and I think many Christians have missed the same point. Jesus was not asking, listen, listen, Jesus was not asking Peter to die for Jesus. Jesus would be the one who would die for Peter. We have a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to die with Christ. It mean, listen, it means we die in him, not alongside him. So this idea of like, well, you know, Christianity is about dying to yourself. Yes, but it's far more about living in him. Come on, church. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified, past tense, crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Are you catching this? Yes, we die with him, but we die in him, not alongside him. Tozer says that the crucifixion portion of the life of the Christian should be the shortest portion. But religion comes and makes it, come on, am I the only one? Religion makes it the whole thing. We die in him. He died for us. We don't die for him. Peter misses this, which proves that, listen, even though much of the deception and the delusion were taken care of, yes, I believe depravity is the main problem, but it proves that there are still things. If depravity is not dealt with, come on, there is still, let me put it this way. Deception and illusion are dealt with, right? The sun is shining, but if the terrible tree of depravity is still blocking out the sun so that it still looks like the middle of the night, what good does it do us that the sun is out? He still has a skewed view. We can still have a skewed. Even if we get that, that God is Abba, Abba is Agape, and we are beloved, we are Agape to us. Even if we get all of that right, if we still think, come on, that it's dependent upon us, we're still digging a hole deeper and deeper. Peter's jacked up perspective is proof, evidence that darkness is still there, that depravity is still in control of him. And I would say, I would venture to say, and you can disagree with me, but just, just put this hat on for a minute and see if it fits. I would say that the reason why depravity still holds him is because he's still scared to die. He's scared of Jesus dying, and he's scared of himself dying. He still believes that death is the end. We see this actually in Scripture, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says, since therefore the children share in, the, in flesh and blood, that is, that we humans have physical bodies, he, that's Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same thing. He had a physical body. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, Peter's problem is he's still afraid to die. He's still afraid of Jesus dying. He thinks that death is the end. And so therefore, he's willing to do whatever he has to do to avoid death. He tries to avoid Jesus' death by, you know, 
chopping a dude's ear off. And now that he can't stop that, now he's trying to avoid his own death. But here's what just blows my mind. I said all of that to get to here. This amazed me. Jesus foretold and predicted every aspect of this story. It's like, it's like in those, it's like, in, it's like the, the, the heist movies, right? You know, like the Oceans movies where you watch the whole heist go, go through and it all falls apart, but then the camera backs up and you see that actually all the mess ups were on purpose. And they actually pulled off the whole thing and the money's wherever the money's supposed to be and the bad guys won and we cheer. What I want to do is I want to back the camera up and I want to show you this. Jesus predicts every aspect. The easy one to see is this. Jesus predicts Peter denying him, right? Simon, he, he, Jesus says he's going to die. He's going to do this. And Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. Listen, he doesn't say I'm not allowing you to. He's saying you can't. You lack the capacity. You can't follow me now, but you will follow me after. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Again, please understand every, I believe you don't have to agree with me. We can disagree on this. I think every other disciple would have said this if Peter hadn't shouted it out first. I think that he interrupted all of them, shouted out first. And the other disciples were like, let's see what Jesus says to that. (laughs) Jesus answers, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And of course we saw this, 1827. Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. See, Jesus was aware that yes, a lot of work had been done and good correction had come to the deception and delusion part of Peter's life, but Jesus was aware of what that depravity would do. That's why I chose the word foretold and predicted and not prophesied. I don't think Jesus was speaking this thing into existence. I think Jesus was just saying, like, Peter, I know exactly what's going on inside of you, and I know exactly where this is going to lead. You're incapable of following where I'm going. I know your zeal makes you think you want to do that, but listen, when the crosses are getting set up in the background, you are going to run away. And Jesus doesn't say this in some sort of judgmental statement like Peter was deficient in some way that he should have been able to make up. He knew where he was and he loved him and that's why Jesus was accomplishing all of this. Despite Peter, and I love this part of it. Peter literally, I I wonder about this, I wonder. I said he was jacked up on, 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 you know, maybe a Red Bull or something. I wonder if he saw it starting to happen and he went, oh no. This is what Jesus talked about. What happened? I know. Huh, I have a sword. <laughs> I don't know how to use it, but let's see what happens. Peter was only mildly better at sword fighting than he was at fishing. You do realize that we see Peter fish twice in the Bible. He fishes both times all night and he catches nothing. He was a bad fisherman. He tries to change it, and I love, I love the goodness of God. God takes Peter's failures and weaves them into the story anyways. 
So even our mistakes, even when we miss it, even when we mess up, even when, we, even when, when he's obviously doing something and we purposely go against it, he still goes, yeah, yeah, I got you. I'll weave this one in too. This will be part of the story as well. But he doesn't just predict Peter's part of the story. He actually predicts all the aspects of the story. He, he predicts the darkness that has all of humanity in bondage to sin. John chapter 8, 31. So, so Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him. The implication is they're offended. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? They're, they're saying this. They're going like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. We're, we're cool hanging out here. But how dare you say that we're, we're slaves to something? How dare you point out our problems? I don't have that problem. How dare that preacher say I have depravity in my life? I, I was baptized. I, I'm, no, I'm good. Everything's taken care of. I don't have any issues. I'm not trying to manage my darkness. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, Jesus points out that sin is the true bondage. Darkness and sin, come on, are, are partners in our bondage. Sin is proof of darkness, and darkness gives fruit to sin. He shows that not only does the, the, do the disciples have this problem, he shows that the religious Jews do as well. All people have this issue. The disciples were also in need of the saving. He shows us this in, in, in John 14, 1 through 4. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have, not, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you will know the way to where I am going. Thomas beats Peter this time. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, the religious people, the religious people arrested Jesus. His disciples abandoned him. Both were in bondage to sin. This is why he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Listen, I know you're all going to freak out and run away. I get it. He's predicting that the problem is in both camps, not just in one. The disciples did not march to the cross with Jesus. They ran away. They abandoned, religion arrested, but, but neither did the right thing. Are you tracking with me? Jesus predicts all of this, and there's a thread that runs through all of it that I want us not to miss. Jesus makes this statement. John 8, 32 he says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
myself and most every other person I've ever heard preach this text focuses on the knowing the truth part. You gotta know the truth. You gotta know, you, you gotta know the truth. <laughs> so we build classes on, on truth, teaching you truth. And listen, there is great blessing and benefit of having accurate information. Can I get an amen from anybody? Accurate information, anybody a fan of accurate information? But can I tell you that what Jesus says here is not, you need, an, you need to upload correct data into your mainframe. That's not what he says here. He says two things that contradict the, 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 the teaching classes on the truth will solve our problem. The first is, he doesn't say an intellectual no, he says an intimate no. That word in Greek we should all be familiar with is gnosko. It's not an intellectual knowing, it's an intimate knowing. When, when Mary says she can't be pregnant because she's never known a man, it's, it's gnosko. It's an intimate, personal, experiential knowledge. He says you have to have that sort of relationship with the truth. But the other thing he says is that the, the, the truth, not you knowing it, it's the truth that will set you free. We see the experience part. The message does a great job of this. He says, then you will experience for yourself the truth, and the truth will set you free. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see this. I want to make sure we get this. He does not say, this is what I've taught for years, and I'm correcting myself. Yes, I can do that. He doesn't say, you shall know the truth. This is what I used to teach. Track with me, track with me. Give me, give me a second. You shall know the truth, and knowing the truth will set you free. That's always how I heard it. That's always how I taught it. But that's not what he said. He said, you will, know, you will have an experience of the truth, and the truth will do the setting free. Where does that come from? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus didn't say, I am the way, truth, life. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Track with me. He could have just as easily said, I am the truth. That's a complete statement in and of itself. Are you seeing it? You will know the truth. You will experience the truth. And the truth will set you free. And oh, by the way, Thomas, I am the truth. If anyone's doing any setting free here, it's not you learning all the right answers and earning your way to freedom. It's you experiencing me and then watching me be the one to give you freedom. And oh, by the way, this is so much the reality that in 36 he says, if the sun sets you free, come on, you will be free indeed. It's not you learning the right answers until you achieve freedom. The solution, listen, listen, your problem does not require the installing of a new software. Your whole machine is busted. You need utter transformation, not just impartation of new information. 
Jesus says that he will come as the truth and set us free. He is the active agent in our liberation. This is what Peter missed. This is what the disciples all missed. This is what, this is what the religious system all missed. They missed that he was there so that they might experience him. That's the deal with the deception and depravity part that we've already talked about, but that there was still work for truth to do. Come on. As the son, as the truth, there was still liberation being done because Jesus is not satisfied with you being a little less dark than you were before. He says the son will set you free until you are free indeed. So if your experience is not free indeed, but just a little less not free than you were before, then there is still more for you to discover in the finished and final and completed work of Jesus accomplished for you. So my, my invitation to all of us, my, 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 my call to all of us is to abandon the depravity and the darkness and learn to live in the full, complete, and utter freedom we have found in the light of the one who is both light and truth and son. It's all been done for us. He did it all. There's nothing. There's nothing left for you to add to it. Again, in case y'all think I've abandoned all of my previous theology, I have not. There is still this wonderfully true statement. You supply nothing to your salvation except your need for it. We say that, but then we think there's still stuff for us to add to it. I'm here to stand up and say grace says there's nothing that you can or should or could add to it at all. Let's stand to our feet. I think it's, it's a good day for us to take some time and just ask Holy Spirit to do the work of examining our hearts and exposing, come on, anywhere that there may be some of this tree still left around. Again, I, I want to just say it. He is not done until we are free indeed. This is why I'm, I'm so committed to say, like, Lord, you, you take as much of an inventory of my inner world as you possibly can right now, as, as much as I can stand, and you uproot as much of this tree as we can take care of right now. I'm not trying to do it. Come on. I'm not asking you to do it. I'm asking us to simply stop digging the hole and let him walk us out. Let him expose those areas where we, where we still are hiding under branches, scared to death, scared of death, failing to realize, come on, that he's, he has conquered it all. He's broken through our deception. He's broken through our delusion. He is breaking down our depravity. He has conquered death. Come on, somebody. So begin to allow, we, we, we respond again, celebration, contemplation, communion. Let's allow some Holy Spirit contemplation this morning and ask him, what is there still some areas that religion is hiding? Where self-effort and self-drive, where I think if I could just get this right, then these problems would be taken care of. 
If I could just be a little bit farther down the road, then maybe this wouldn't be an issue anymore. Now we're going to surrender to him. Come on, church. You'll experience the truth. You'll see just how good he is. And then you'll watch that good God make you free indeed. And as we take that time to contemplate, allow him to shift and change, to break down some things, come on, and to build up some things, as we take that time to allow that to happen, we're going to do that in an atmosphere of celebration because he is just that good. And we're going to celebrate the goodness of God. We're going to celebrate who he is as we contemplate all that he is doing in our interior world. The last aspect of our response is communion. We commune one with another through prayer. Maybe you're going through something. Maybe God is exposing one of these areas that you've, you, you still have depravity in your life and you want to go stand with somebody and ask them to pray for you and ask them to, to believe God with you. That he has done all that is necessary to break that down. We have a team of people that will meet you over here by the cross. They will, listen, they would love to pray with you about anything. If you've got a need going on in your life, you have something, you need a healing in your body, you need a restoration in a relationship, you need breakthrough in your finances, you need whatever it might be. No prayer is too big, no prayer is too small. Because our God, listen, 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 I'm talking to somebody. Our God does not care what the prognosis is. He's a God who does miracles. We freak out about the size, he does not. The bill could be $100 or the bill could be a million dollars. It doesn't change anything for him. It can be stage one. It can be stage four. It's not like God's up in heaven going like, well, if it was stage two, I could do it. But, well, you know, if the relationship was broken yesterday, I could restore it. But since it's been a, it's been a problem for so many years, I just, ah, I'm just out of restoration juice. I'm sorry. No, God wants to meet you. Come on, somebody. We believe this simply. That when we pray, God hears us, and that when God hears us, he responds, which simply means when we pray, stuff happens. So if you've got something going on, I want to encourage you to commune with the body and let somebody pray with you. Let them stand with you, let them pray, let them believe God to do a miracle. But the other way we engage in communion is the communion of the Lord's table. These tables are open to all who've put their faith in Jesus. You don't have to agree with our doctrine, like our church, or think our music is quiet to take communion here with us. We have uh, got tables here. They're available to all who put their faith in Jesus. We take by a method known as intiction, where we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the cup. We've got gluten-free available on the white tables if you need that. Listen, the, the, the question is this. If, if you've not put your faith in Jesus, we're not going to ask you to come up here and pretend like you're a Christian and take communion, but I want to challenge you with this simple reality. Jesus is better than everything. So what's keeping you from him? What darkness are you hiding in thinking that it's better than light? Because listen to me, it's not. He is not better than some things. He's not better than a lot of things. He's not better than anything. He's better than everything. The scriptures simply call us to repent and believe that truth, to admit and abandon all of the other stuff in our life and to embrace and entrust the truth that he is who he says he is, that he's done what he said he's done. 
that as we repent and believe, life comes into us. Deception, delusion, depravity, and death are expelled and life floods into our life and we are made, come on church, free indeed. So I would encourage you, if you're here, I would, I, would, I would plead with you more than anything else this morning, I would plead with you to repent and believe the gospel. Join the family. Engage in this amazing dance that we get to dance with our creator. And if you're doing that this morning, I would encourage you to come forward and partake in the table. And I would also encourage you to let somebody know, whether it's somebody that brought you here or you, you know in the room, or, or if you don't, go let somebody on the prayer team know. Just say, hey, I'm, I'm repenting and believing. And they would love to stand with you. We'd love to get some resources into your life to help you kind of understand what's going on and help you engage in this process. But right now, we're just going to take some time. And we're just going to respond. Encourage you once again. Let Holy Spirit do his work of exposing breaking down and building up those areas in our heart. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning. Thank you that you are a God who does the saving. Come on. There's no part for us to do. There's no peace for us to accomplish. That God, you're the one who does it all. God, that you're the one. We don't die for you. You died for us. Our part is not the necessary part. Your part is the part that is necessary. And so we submit and we surrender. God, expose if there's any areas left. Lord, even if we learned them from people who had great hearts, even if we were trained up in these ways within the church, God, we give you not just permission, we give you our request to expose the corruption even within the Christian doctrines that we were taught. We want to know you, God. We want to walk in the fullness of your work, Jesus. We want what you have accomplished for us. Open our eyes to see you, Give us eyes to see, Lord. Give us eyes to see, Lord. I pray today would be the day that the Spirit of the living God would move so mightily in our midst that we would be able to know the freedom that comes from the Spirit. Not just a freedom to shout and to sing and to dance and to lift our hands. We say yes and amen to all of those things. But I pray for a freedom that sets us free and free indeed. So Spirit of the living God, we give you room to correct even those things that we believe but that are not true. God, we want you. God, we want you. We don't want right answers. We want you. Come and have your way. Spirit of the living God, come and have your way. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Holy Spirit, come and apply what Jesus has supplied. Jesus' name. Church, let's respond to the Lord.